Welcome to the Resonate Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Pastor Jacob. How's everyone doing? You know, it's funny, I'm preaching on fear and I'm, I'm one of the least fearful guys. Yet I had one night where I just woke up during this week just full of fear. What's this about? And sometimes God just takes us through a place so that we can identify and understand and actually minister out of that place. It's been a couple of years, I reckon, since I've had woken up at night with fear. Tuesday night. Let me say this. Some here in this room are fearful of the Christian faith. Like, you know, how's the faith going? You know, there's ISIS, there's a gender and identity crisis going on. And, what, you know, what's happening in this world? You know, the moral decay, everything's going crazy. But the truth is we win. I've read the end of the story. We win. Read the end of the book and let it build faith in your life. Father God, as we talk about fear, as we address it, as we kill it, I just pray that you would make hearts still, hearts that are anxious still, hearts that are worried still. Bring peace, bring hope, bring joy and help us remember you are faithful. In your name we pray. Amen. As I was preparing, I I felt like we needed some encouragement. We needed to remember our, our situation. And, and do you actually realise that you're fantastic? You know, because a lot of people wake up and look in the mirror and go, oh, I'm a failure, oh, I'm terrible, oh, I did this. And we live in this place that's absolutely wrong. Because the truth is God made you to be you. Don't try and be this fake version of someone else because you fear that if people understood and knew the real you, they wouldn't like it. God made you good. He says that in his word. He made you for a purpose. And you robbed the world of everything that he had planned for you when you try to be someone else. Uh, To quote DC Talk, God didn't screw up when he made you. So a couple of things before I begin that I just want to build our our faith, I want to build your faith, I want to build your, um, your identity in yourself and in God. Do you know the Bible tells us, and it's true, that God loved you so much he decided you were worth it. So he sent his one and only son to die on the cross to pay the debt for yours and my sin. What about this? God sees that your life has so much potential that he's willing and longing for you to accept the offer and invitation of adoption into his family. Also, God decided that he wants to partner with you to continue the story of the salvation of mankind. You know, he could could have sent his angels for the salvation of mankind, but he sees value and worth in you and me, and so he chooses us as the vehicle to glorify his name here on earth. How about this? God knew that life wasn't going to be easy here. So he goes, I've got a gift. I'm going to give you the gift. Some of me, the Holy Spirit, which is going to live inside you and lead you and guide you and partner with you to live a powerful and purposed life. Last one. The God who placed every star in the sky, the creator of everything you see, who directs every lightning bolt, who said, let there be light, and there was light, knows you by name. He knows you by name. He knows every hair on your heads, and he loves you by nature. And nothing, nothing, nothing can separate you from the love of God. Actually, I've got one more. Jesus, who's seated on the right hand of the Father, he's interceding on your behalf. 
He's barracking for you and me. He's up there barracking for Kay as she goes and preaches in India. She's barracking for Gabe and Norella as they're doing God as social. He's barracking for people as they come up and lead worship, as they help people enter God's presence. He's barracking for Steve as Steve's speaking into the life of little kids. He's interceding and barracking on our behalf because our, our amazing God believes in us. And I tell you these things that we all already know to remind us of how privileged we are. Church, we're married to faith. We're married into the family of the King of Kings. And you know what? So instead of moping around, maybe we should start strutting. Maybe we should get some confidence about ourselves. The God who created everything is my dad. I tell you these things because they're straight from the Bible, from his word to us. And if we read it enough, then all of a sudden we'll start to understand that he has already killed your giants. And we're just allowing the ghosts of those giants to haunt us. I'm going to say it one more time. He has already killed your giants. You're just allowing the ghosts of the giants to haunt you. And the Bible, which is God's sword given to us, will remove the giant's head and set you free and your enemy will flee. The enemy will run. I spoke last week about my wedding as an analogy for the message and I, and I kind of want to head there again today. And the truth is I married really well. You know, whenever there's a picture of our anniversary on Facebook, all, all my mates are like, you're, you're batting, you know, well above your average. And I say, that's not very nice to say that about Kezia. Um, <laughs> but the truth is my wife's, can I say freaking, a freaking hottie. She's gorgeous, right? She is. She is. When she agreed to marry me, um, Many other guys were after her. There was like this, she was part of a church in Canberra and there was, you know, the drummer and a few others who were pretty keen on her. You know, these guys must have been devastated. They're probably still um, in hospital with depression because I won the jackpot. Oh, they lost out. But here's the thing. I know I'm married well. I know I'm super blessed. I know there's absolutely no way that I could do any better because, number one, no woman is better than my wife. And number two, no woman is better than my wife. But the truth is, sometimes I forget and I grumble at a little thing that annoys me or frustrates me or I allow myself to get distracted by something else or someone else. And sometimes those thoughts take me so far away from the love and appreciation and closeness that I know and should have all the time in my life with my wife in marriage. So I'm sorry, Kezia, for those times. Please forgive me. But church, let me remind you, we are married to faith in Jesus. We have done well. You can't do any better. We're punching. We're batting above our average in that we're married to faith. And unfortunately, often we forget. You know, one moment in Sunday we're singing, your grace is enough, your grace is enough. We're singing that. We're meaning that. We're believing that. And that evening we're going through the bills and whinging because the second car, not the first car, the second car that we have needs a service and we're not sure if we can afford the service. And then we're grumbling and whinging to God because he's not providing for us in our second car. Because we forget. We need to understand that the God who placed the stars in the sky, who knows us by name, loves us in relationship with us. We're married to that faith. 
And what happens is when we forget, we start to fear. And when we fear, we're distracted. And when we are distracted, we are so far from our marriage to faith because we've forgotten how good it is. And see what happens in 1 Samuel verse 17, uh, chapter 17. See, there's an army, the Israelite army, connected to God. They were God's army. So ultimately they knew they were powerful. They knew they could get a victory. They've had victories on, you know, they had victories for breakfast. They knew they had a future and they knew God was on their side. And how did they know? Because they've experienced it all before, time and time and time again. But something happens. In the physical, it allowed fear to enter the spiritual. They allowed fear in. They froze. They stopped doing what was naturally their thing to do. And they stopped. And for 40 days, they didn't move. For 40 days, they didn't fight. For 40 days, they were stagnant. 40 days. The journey of their life filled with purpose, potential and promise was roadblocked. And I started wondering, what did they miss out on achieving? Because of 40 days that they were stationary. We don't usually think about that, but how many, how many victories would they have had? How many days with loved ones would they have had? What have they missed out on because they were roadblocks? Then I think about it in my life and the times that giants roadblock me. What am I missing out on when I'm stationary, when I'm roadblocked, when fear has just got a stranglehold of me and I can't move forwards? Church, what is the world missing out on when we allow giants to roadblock our purpose and our forward movement? And unfortunately, when you allow the giant of fear into your life, it stops that forward movement. And church, forward movement is healthy, both spiritually and physically speaking. Fear stops movement. It stops action. And in our marriage to faith, forward movement and action are a sign of health, which the Bible calls fruits. And you can't have fruit without some movement. And in our faith, the truth is that there's no middle ground. You're either going forwards or you're going backwards. And fear is one of the ugliest giants. And when we entertain it, when we flirt with it, when we date it, when we cheat with it, it holds the movement that is most natural in our marriage to faith. And when we stop, we're at more risk of harm. You know what happens when, when there's danger around you know, apart from if there's a snake, we teach our kids if there's a snake, you don't move because, you know, that's, that's a good thing. But usually when there's danger around, the best thing we can do is keep moving so that we walk away from it. My father was a ranger in the Austrian army. It was um, the rangers in the Austrian army are probably somewhat equivalent to the SAS, so the special forces of their national army. And uh, one time when Dad was on a, um, a patrol in war and the enemy were firing at them, and so he was the leader of this small group and uh, the guys were like, well, what do we do? Do we turn around? Do we run? So some of them wanted to run backwards. Some of them wanted to just to stay stationary and try to hide. And Dad, he said through no real, uh, no real thinking, or just a natural movement, he just charged just straight towards the enemy. And all of a sudden the guys who were behind him just followed. And he got through that situation and so did all these guys with a simple shrapnel graze to the leg and none of the men were hurt. And I asked Dad later, well, what, what was that about? And he said, thinking back on it, I knew that being stationary, while it might have seemed safe, was actually a whole lot more dangerous than continuing to move forwards. Now in the Gospel, 125 times 
Jesus says an imperative statement like love others. And out of these 125 statements, there's a number of different topics or themes. And the number one theme, which is 21 times, is a variation of, but around the theme and the category of, do not be afraid, fear not, have courage. And the next closest eight times is love your neighbour, that theme. See, what makes Christianity unique is that we are a faith that teaches love and yet even though love is a central theme of Christianity, the number one statement that Jesus makes more than any other statement is do not fear, do not be afraid. Why? Because Jesus knows that the giant called fear holds too many people back from what God has for their lives. Jesus knows the giant of fear stops people from continuing down the path on the journey that God's best plan is for their lives. See, fear keeps us from loving deeply. Fear keeps us from giving freely. Fear keeps us from dreaming passionately. Fear keeps us from moving into every opportunity that is most naturally available to us as people married to faith. So we need to kill fear and we need to kill it dead to walk into everything that God has for our lives. And I know 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 that the idea of, of taking a risk, of moving forward, it can be sickening sometimes. It can be scary. It can be hard. And when we're married to fear, we just want to play it safe and ultimately we end up missing out. And those around us miss out and the world misses out on the gifts that you have being used to better this world. I, um, I put it out on Facebook, you know, you know what's the quote that, um, that you had on your bedroom wall or have on your wall now that um, maybe shapes a little bit of your life or explains a little bit about some of your actions or how you live? Um, Want to know what the quote growing up on my wall was? It's by a great um, philosopher named Evil Knievel. It said this, and I had this on my wall from about the age of 12 till about the age of 19 when I, when I left home. It says, even though scarred by failure, it's better for people to take chances in life than to live in a grey twilight, never knowing victory nor defeat. Maybe that explains a little bit about me and the way I act. And, but I love that. And I also love this um, commercial by NAB Business. And I'm not promoting NAB Business today. But I want, to, I want to play you this, and you remember it from 2015. It's my favourite ad nearly in the world. This is a ship's safe in the harbour, because they, they're trying to make a business decision. Do we step out? Do we do this? Do we? And they said, this is a lovely place. What's your secret? And he says, a ship is safe in a harbour, but that's not what ships are made for. And I don't want to sound corny this morning, but I might be. We might feel safe in our comfort zone, but that's not what you and I were made for. And we marry the giant of fear. All of a sudden, instead of having more and living abundantly like we do when we're married to faith, all of a sudden we're going to see less in our lives, less salvations, less miracles, less personal breakthrough, less of God, less of his presence, less of his leading. And we're less helpful. We're less loving. We're less kind, less adventurous, less generous. Yet when we kill fear and stay married to faith, we see more, not less, of all the good in our lives. As you know, pastors don't work ever, you know. We just drink coffee and hang out, you know. That's, 
That's that's the uh, that's the that's, that's that's the way it is, you know. And we spend all day, you know, thinking about four points that start with the same word or or rhyme or acronyms. Anyway, when I was pastoring in Batemans Bay, because I never worked and all I did was sit down uh, by the water and drink coffee, the times that I did that, I was sitting at Starfish Deli, and you look out and there's all these boats, right? Um, and there's all these boats just sitting in the harbour. You know, there's, there's a $400,000 yacht there, uh, which gets sailed once a year. There's a, you know, $300,000 yacht. It gets sailed twice, so it's good value for money. Um, but I, I love boats, and I love looking at boats, and one day... I'll never be able to afford a yacht. One day I might have a little tinny. And, but it appears that yachts are safest when they're just marooned in, in the harbour. You know, they're away from the big swirls. You know, they're not going to capsize. They're anchored down. They can't crash into rocks away from the big winds. But here's the thing. Yachts and boats, they're made for movement. Yachts are made for sailing. They are made to journey out into deeper waters, to experience the thrill of the the wind catching the sails and and getting dragged along by currents. And when yachts are in sync with what they're meant to be doing, they're incredibly safe and they're incredibly majestic and there's no danger, but rather they're activated into everything that they were made for. And, And I was discovering something around this theme of boats and, you know, there's a thing called barnacles. Who knows what barnacles are? You know, um, some people say they're the ocean's version of termites that are on land, right? Another phrase for them is sons of the devil. Um, But barnacles are this massive problem in the boat industry, a huge problem because it ultimately ends up affecting the boat's journey. These little creatures which start out small breed and multiply and affect the journey of the boat that they're breeding on. See, they damage the vessel in a couple of ways. Number one, they attach themselves to the hull of the boat and they dig their roots into the boat's surface, which ultimately slowly eats away the bottom of the boat. And then secondly, it can add so much weight and friction to the the boat that if it's not controlled, the average ship will use 40% more fuel because of the added weight and resistance that's in the water. So eventually a ship or boat or yacht that's not maintained from barnacles will breed enough barnacles they will either sink the ship through sheer weight or decompose the ship's structure. So even when boats have this anti-barnacle paint on them, when stationary they remain a target for barnacles. Yet what we see is when a boat's moving, the friction of the water against the hull causes just the right amount of abrasion to release a new coating of anti-barnacle substance. But in the bay, In the harbour, in the calm and stationary place where the boat's not moving, there isn't enough friction to activate the chemical and the barnacles will still attach and grow. And I need to tell some people here today, you're married to the giant of fear and you're stationary. No longer moving in the direction and the plan that God has for your life. And it seems you're taking the safe and comfortable way, but not moving. But what you can't see is you're slowly breeding things that will take more and more of your fuel and will eventually sink you. See, for 40 days, the army was stationary. And can you imagine each day the mocking from Goliath, a little bit cockier, a little bit more brash, a little bit more hurtful, and hopelessness is growing in the army. Comfort's growing. It's safe here in... The camp, it's not safe if I step out onto the battlefield. 
and comfort and hopelessness and all those things are growing like barnacles on a stationary army. Maybe some of them started thinking, you know what, maybe it's not too bad becoming the slaves of the Philistines. We won't have to fight Goliath. We'll get three meals a day and we don't have to die. And as each day went on, hope that one of them will build the courage to defeat the giant of fear and fight Goliath and kill the giant was diminishing. And church, we said last week, you need to know we can't beat the giants on our own. So we need to stop trying. Remember, we're not David in this story. Jesus is David. And so how do we beat the giant of fear in our lives? Well, watch this. Saul allowed David, who is Jesus, control of the battle and actually control of his life because the terms were set if David lost. Saul's life was effectively over. At best, a slave to the Philistines, no longer a king, but most likely as the king and as the leader of the opposition army, he would encounter death. And so, yes, it's surrendering of our lives and allowing Jesus to fight our battles that we kill the giant of fear, but let me take that a little bit further this morning. There's two amazing revelations out of it. What two things killed the giant? The rock and then the sword cut off the head, finished it all off. Church, Jesus, according to the Bible, is the rock. And you need to know that the rock has already struck your giant and the giant has fallen and is already dead. But then already dead, David, who is Jesus, walks up to the giant and uses the sword to remove the giant's head and holds it up to signify to the rest of the enemies that the giant is no longer roadblocking God's people from moving into all that he has for them. And what happens? The enemy see it and the enemy run. The head coming off is simply a reminder to the enemy and a reminder to the people of God that the giant is dead. See, church, we need to surrender our life to Jesus. And that makes way for Jesus to come in and to kill our giants and then use the sword as a symbol of remembrance to build confidence in the victory and to say to our enemies that the giant is dead. Now the sword, according to Bible, is Scripture. It is God's words to us. And see, often the enemy will use Scripture as a weapon against us. You know, Satan's done that from right back in Genesis. You know, did God really say that? But the truth is, Scripture is for us. And so Jesus is the rock that's killed our giants. And it's through Scriptures we keep the ghosts of the giants dead. Can I leave us with this thought today? If you study the Bible and look through both Old Testament and New Testament, guess how many times the Bible tells God's people not to fear? 365 times. Enough to remind us one time for every day. And so church, want to kill fear? Want to stay married to faith? We do this with total surrender or total submission to our Lord, our life in His hands. And Jesus, the rock, kills our giants. We take up the sword, which is the Bible, and we remind ourselves and we remind our enemy, my giant is already dead. And with the sword as my weapon, I'm saying, giant of fear, you can't haunt me. Anymore. Your giant of fear is dead. We need just remember and remind the ghost. Using the sword, hold it up 
and let the enemy see you already have victory. I want to I do something. I want to pray with us today, but I want us to have communion today. You know, Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. And the truth is, when we allow the giant of fear or the ghost of the giant of fear to haunt us, to roadblock us, to affect us, it's because we forget. It's because we forget how wonderful and powerful our God is. We forget how privileged we are married in faith. And so we, this is why we come around communion regularly, to remember we're married to faith. We have nothing to fear. We've given our lives to Jesus. He kills the giants. And as we remember, as we take a hold of his words, the ghosts, the enemies will flee. Thank you for listening to the Resonate Podcast. Jesus, my love, my God.